The Anchored City Podcast is recorded in Anchorage, Alaska, on the traditional lands of the Denina Athabascan people. I have heard the oldest stories that the wisest man never told. And I cast aside my worries And just went digging for gold And I will scale the highest mountains Looking for the bluest blue Hello, and welcome to the Anchored City Podcast. I'm your host, Joel Kiekenfeld. We are currently between seasons, and this is our fifth of our Between the Seasons episodes. We are doing a number of these episodes from time to time as we wait for season two to begin in the fall. The 4th of July and baseball have a special connection in Anchorage going all the way back to the city's founding. In this special episode, we will continue talking about baseball in Anchorage with our guest, Katie Ringsmith. Katie is the Alaska State Historian and a professor of history at the University of Alaska at Anchorage. She is a baseball fan who curated the exhibition Home Field Advantage, Baseball in the Far North at the Anchorage Museum in 2015. She authored the article Fields of Dreamers, Baseball in Anchorage, Alaska in the book Imagining Anchorage in 2018. During our conversation, Katie shared photos with me and links to those photos can be found in the show description. Now on to my conversation with Katie Ringsmith. That I have yet to cross I've dreamed of faraway places Where imagination just gets lost And I would search the wide world over For one proverb that is true But of all the roads I'll ever walk I just, I can't have you My name is Katie Ringsmith. Uh, I'm a historian uh, here in Alaska. I currently work for the state of Alaska. I'm the state historian and deputy state uh, historic preservation officer, which a job that I just started in January. Uh, I uh, just finished up teaching uh, at the University of Alaska Anchorage, where I teach Alaska history and U.S. history. And uh, have two little boys who are baseball players and uh, this is uh, just a labor of love and I'm uh, just delighted that uh, you've invited me to come come talk today about baseball in Alaska. Great so you put up one of the photos that I want to talk about right away on the PowerPoint so I know listeners can't see that but it's a picture of one of the pictures from the 1915 July 4. Uh, baseball game in Anchorage, which is something that is fascinating to me. Once I saw the pictures, but just set my mind reeling. So I would love to hear from you. What, what, what is this game? This months into the city, there's this baseball game on July 4. So what, what can you tell us about that game? I know. Isn't that just, just crazy to think that, you know, they, they literally just carved this, uh, this community out of the wilderness and somehow they managed to have time to put in a, a baseball game. So, uh, or a baseball field. So this game, uh, is being played down at ship Creek. 
that's where the first baseball field was. Of course, that was the epicenter of early Anchorage uh, where the railroad uh, was being built. And uh, this is smack right down there near where the Alaska Humanities Forum is uh, and the, uh, the railroad headquarters down there at Ship Creek. And uh, these guys were likely railroad workers and this is the 4th of July, and you can see in the background, uh, probably every single person in all of Anchorage is down here at this game. And what I love about when you really can blow up and look at this photograph, you can see uh, the diversity of, of people that were, were here, you know, right from the beginning in early Anchorage, men and women. Uh, you had youth and, and the elderly, you had people of color. In fact, uh, this fellow right here, uh, his name is Augie. Uh, he was African-American and playing baseball at a time when you know, most of the African-Americans in the, the country couldn't play, they had uh, they had been um, discriminated and, um, you know, couldn't play baseball. So this is really a, a great photo. And of course, it's taken by Sidney Lawrence, um, one of Alaska's great uh, artists and uh, also had a, a little um, photography business going on. So this is one of uh, many of the photos that, that Sidney had taken at this time. Yeah, there's a couple of things that are shocking to me in that photo. One is this African-American player, Augie. And I don't know if we know any too much about th this person. And then the other thing that shocks me is not only is there a baseball game being played on July 4th, but they have uniforms. Yeah. Um, and I find as a baseball fan, I find myself wishing I had like a throwback jersey of these. I don't even know what they were making the uniforms out of, but this with this anchor logo, I think those that's that's fascinating. So do we know any more about this player that was playing for the the Anchorage team that day? Very little. Um, I just, we just know his name is Augie. He was probably a railroad worker. And, you know, I, when I was um, traveling to a conference in Minnesota, I actually attended a, a, a paper given by a, a historian named Frank White, whose um, grandfather played in the Negro Leagues and played with the likes of, of Satchel Page and others. And he thought that what was happening is that African-Americans were moving up into Canada and making their way to Alaska for jobs primarily, but they got to play ball too. And so you, he, he was looking at African-Americans moving into Canada to play ball. And he thought that it would make sense that uh, people would make their way to Anchorage with, uh, with the with the railroad construction. So um, the, the uniforms they have on are likely railroad uniforms, makeshift uniforms. And what's great about this is that they were playing against um, uh, the Robarb's Shamrocks. Robarb was a, a um, business owner. He actually owned a sports bar in Anchorage <laughs> and he was the other team and the, his of course, you can't tell in the black and white, but they had uniforms that were in uh, that were bright green. So uh, the Irish green. So and they also had an African-American player on their team. So um, it was so Augie isn't just the exception that that it, that people were coming up and given the opportunity to play. Great. That's really helpful. That makes sense that folks would be moving through Canada, going where the work is, end up in Anchorage. And if you're a player. Yeah, being able to play. And it's fascinating that the crowd's so, like you said, such a huge crowd and such a diverse 
um, crowd that uh, there's a wide variety of people already in Anchorage at that point in time. Absolutely. And you see in the photo I have up now, it's titled The Bleachers. And it's the people sitting on the tree stumps uh, watching the game. And again, you really can see the diversity of the of the sporting fans who, who came to watch, men and women. And of course, you see people of color uh, there as well represented in the photo. So it does speak volumes. And my understanding is it isn't just this 1915 game. This is sort of maybe the, the, you know, the first charge of sort of an explosion, but baseball in Anchorage in 1916 and 17 is this huge thing. Like the city's kind of baseball crazy. Um, could you tell us a little bit more about that? I know the Shamrocks were part of that. So like, what does it look like for, what does the league look like sort of in Anchorage in those years right after those, those first few years of Anchorage? Well, the important thing is, is they had a railroad, right? So uh, that meant that the ball players are going to be some of the very first users of the railroad lines. Uh, so, for example, um, there was the field down at Ship Creek, as I, we talked about, but then there was also a field uh, in Anchorage, right where the Anchorage Museum is today, where they have the the, the kind of outside lot. This, the photo I'm showing right here uh, is right there. So that was the Anchorage team. And then they also had a team out in Palmer uh, where, so they would use the railroad lines to go out to Palmer. And they also had uh, a ball field at Turnigan Arm, um, kind of right out there uh, when the mudflats went out. So they would play and again, using the railroad lines and they would compete. And then there were other um, kind of uh, um, pick, well, there, it was a, le a amateur league, I guess. And they were mostly um, the uh, fraternal organizations, uh, labor unions, interestingly, had, had ball teams as well as the business communities and the professional uh, teams. So they would all play together. So. Uh, it's very, it's fascinating to me that here you have 1915, the beginning of a town, uh, but you're also seeing uh, not just a game play out on these fields, you're seeing, uh, you're seeing the social uh, kind of rules of, of the community uh, playing out on the, on the ball fields as well. So those teams at Turnigan Arm, Anchorage, the Matsu team, the Shamrocks team, those were for lack of a better term, the professional teams in the yeah. area? Yeah, yeah, exactly. And, you know, the 4th of July was the centerpiece, baseball games were the centerpiece of the 4th of July celebrations. They were so important. Everybody in the town would come. Uh, and in Anchorage, uh, you know, you, you have uh, numbers like, you know, two or 3,000 people showing up to these games. I mean, it, so you can imagine that just about everyone uh, in these towns are, are coming. Yeah, I know. I read somewhere, I think maybe in your article and elsewhere that like normal attendance for a game was three, four, 500 people, but sometimes eight, you know, 800 to a thousand or more, yeah. especially on the 4th of July, which in a city at that point of maybe four or 5,000 people, that's a crazy amount of folks to be drawing to just regular games, much less to, to holiday games. Oh, I know. It is just, it's amazing. And I don't know if you can uh, see this, um, this video, but this was taken right in the first uh, 
year of, of Anchorage. Uh, this was part of the news reels that they play at Hollywood games. And you're talking about, you know, a town of 10,000 emerging from the wilderness. And you can see kind of our early Fourth Avenue, but I'm gonna kind of move ahead here because what they also show is the 4th of July celebration, which in Alaska is still so important. Uh, it's a time, you know, really where entire communities uh, come together. Summertime is a time where people are working, but they, they stop that work uh, to have time uh, to engage in the celebration. And I love this, uh, this film clip because it actually documents uh, that first game. So there they are. And this is the, the film of it and, and living, breathing humans. <laughs> it's just wonderful uh, to get a real close. And then you can see Robarb, his, uh, uh, his green uniforms there. So, um, but I always thought that was uh, uh, pretty cool. Um, a pretty pretty cool way to really show uh, these these players these these early Anchorageites. Yeah, that's fascinating. I didn't know there was a newsreel of that, so that's really interesting. I'd seen a handful of pictures and so on, but never never anything moving. So that's cool. This Roberts guy, um, Jack Roberts, he he, if I understand, had a pro team, obviously the Shamrocks, but then also was sponsoring amateur teams. Yeah, um, in town. What is his? Um, what was his kind of connection? What was his, what did he do in the city other than kind of sponsor these teams? And kind well, of he was who a, was he? He was a bar owner. And so that's how he made his living. Uh, he, he uh, but what was interesting about Robarts is that uh, his wife was really the, the fanatic of, of baseball. And uh, there's, she's the one who kept, the documented the history, you know, in her diaries and, and wrote about baseball. And there was a game played in May and, you know, and believe me, I've sat in enough little league games in May with all my full winter gear on because it's raining, it's cold. Um, and there was a young woman sitting next to her and uh, she's like, man, if you're going to live here in Anchorage, you better learn to love this game because it is how these, these, you know, that early generation in many ways was able to connect with their their communities back home. And that's a theme you see played out over and over again in Alaska is um, how these ball fields in many ways, you know, contained uh, a little bit of, of what they left behind. Yeah, that makes sense. Moving to a completely new place, trying to find something to connect to that reminds you of home. Baseball's there. Um, so that, that, that totally makes sense. So clearly we don't have a four team pro league anymore in Anchorage. So like what happened in the last hundred or so years, like where did that sort of pro level of ball end up? Well, you know, early on, you know, you know, with, again, you know, baseball is one of these interesting uh, games that's just always there. Uh, and in many ways, baseball is the constant. And we historians can kind of look to baseball and see how the world around baseball changes. Um, and what's happening 
you know, in 1915, 1916, 1917 is World War One. And, uh, and not only is World War One going to really impact Alaska, especially because it's going to just suck, number one, all the men out of out of Alaska, the population just plummets during World War One. It's obviously going to have a big impact on baseball. Article after article that you read, um, you know, they're saying that, uh, you know, they, they keep losing one player after the next to, to go fight. In fact, many of the the drives like this, this photo right here is a, is a benefit uh, supported by, again, the women uh, to uh, raise money for uh, the children of, of Europe who were, you know, just getting devastated uh, on the continent because of that war. And, and, and you also see um, in, in, in newspapers and, and magazines, uh, advertisements asking people to send baseball equipment to to the, the military overseas so the guys could play baseball um, so so definitely the war is going to have an impact uh, but again baseball continues on and uh, in and not just in Anchorage but in other parts of the this of Alaska the territory um, you have fields being built up in Nome you have fields being built on the beaches in front of Ketchikan, you have fields uh, being built in places like uh, uh, Nanana. Uh, baseball is everywhere. And again, it's that 4th of July celebration where you see these, these celebrations. In fact, places like Kennecott, uh, in Kennecott, they are, they're playing out on the glacier. They actually make a baseball field on the glacier right out there in front of Kennecott. Um, in Nome, they're, uh, what they're doing is they're putting down the burlap sacks that they'd filled with uh, the gold. They put in these burlap sacks and then they'd put the beach sand on the field to create what was what Terrence Cole referred to as one of the most unique ballparks in the whole country, um, and you know, and in Southeast Alaska, where you know you don't have a lot of spaces to to build a ball field, they would play on the mud flats, and uh, you know that that always just is is fascinating to me, where you have frontier Alaska kind of collide with the mythos of baseball because the timelessness, you know, factor doesn't fit well with the Pacific Ocean. Those tides are going to rise, and with it the entire field is is recreated twice a day you know it again kind of touching on the themes of the timelessness of baseball or you know rebirth and and renewal which are are also themes that that come with baseball so it's it's just a really unique i mean you have people who are coming up you know from other places kind of imposing this game on alaska but because of the uniqueness of Alaska's environment, what we're seeing is Alaska kind of changing this game and making it its own. So, you know, as we go forward, you see, you know, even in places like the Aleutians during World War II, uh, soldiers are bringing baseball, you know, out to uh, the, the, throughout the North Pacific. Um, you're seeing uh, by, you know, really the, the 19, after the war, the 1950s, uh, you're kind of seeing a, a new population coming to Alaska 
and uh, the manifestation is some of the very first little league teams. So uh, young people are starting to play. Uh, and again, that has a lot to do with the military, new, another new generation of, of newcomers coming to, the, to Alaska. Uh, and then you have the, um, the establishment of the Alaska Baseball League. So, you know, there's, so again, you, you kind of see all these moments in history, but Alaska, but, but, but baseball really, really doesn't change. It's still, still there. It's the constant. I'm glad you brought it in other places, even though this podcast is mostly focused on Anchorage. But before we leave kind of that that war period, World War One or pre-war period, um, what can you say about the rivalry between Seward and Anchorage? I've seen this like listed where there was train cars of people going down there in some cases, like selling so many tickets like it was like the whole population of Seward going to the game. Somebody told me and I don't know how accurate that is, but then insane amounts of money being bet on the games too, two thousand dollars in you know, 1915, 1916 dollars, which would be something like $45,000 now being put down on these games between Seward and Anchorage. What did that rivalry look like? Oh yeah, it was, uh, that's absolutely true. And in fact, the 1916, uh, the Anchorage players went down to Seward on a hand truck that they pushed all the way down there, which seems kind of extraordinary. Uh, They were a little tired when they got there and they uh, played the tournament. They ended up losing, but um, but that initiated this rivalry between Anchorage and, and Seward. So they, Anchorage would go down uh, for one year and then Seward would come up here and, and play. And uh, in many ways, it was reflective of that rivalry that existed between the two cities. Uh, and again, it had a lot to do with, uh, with the railroad. And, um, and then ultimately, when the railroad headquarters comes to Anchorage, you see that rivalry continue to intensify. And uh, um, so uh, definitely, uh, uh, what, what, again, what's so extraordinary about this is that Alaskans have to travel long distances. And in those days, at the turn of the century, you had um, uh, progressive era um, blue lots or, or uh, you know, where you couldn't play baseball on Sunday. And so what's really interesting is, um, you know, Anchorage ball teams were saying, look, we, we have to be able to play on Sunday because we have to travel these extraordinary distances. And it wasn't just Anchorage and, and Seward. I mean, Fairbanks, they were going a thousand miles to play in places like Dawson and, and other, you know, areas around. So we think we travel a long time, you know, far away to, to go up to Fairbanks to, to play a tournament. Well, they were traveling extraordinary distances. Uh, and so they were making the argument you had to play. So uh, in the newspapers and columnists are writing uh, in support of playing baseball on Sundays and reminding their fans, go out, enjoy the game, but don't forget to go to church too. <laughs> so... <laughs> So again, you're seeing um, many of these social trends play out on, on the ball field uh, in addition to, to the game. Well, and it's not like the church was totally opposed to baseball. I mean, if I understand right, one of the amateur teams in Anchorage was the Presbyterian Church had, yeah. a, had a team playing. So it wasn't well, so much yeah. about the game. It had more to do with the day that they were playing for sure. Well, and, you know, it's important to recognize, too, that baseball did have an assimilationist um, goal. Uh, This was how, or at least it was one way in which these newcomers were bringing America to Alaska through that Americanization process. And many of the missionaries 
in how they were able to assimilate many of their the, their young native ball uh, kids was to turn them into ball players. Um, Sheldon Jackson, the Privilofs. Um, so that that is um, very much the case. You do see um, on baseball and you know like holidays like the 4th of July, being able to carry with it uh, American values and trends. And, and that certainly was uh, one of the, the, the outcomes, I would say. You have a picture up on the screen that, of something I was going to ask you about. So we've been talking about pr pretty much men's baseball, um, but you have a picture up of this team, the Lightning Strikers, who are the winners of the Ladies Indoor Baseball League. Um, so talk about the women playing baseball in Alaska and in Anchorage in the early years. Yeah, I mean, talk about social trends uh, <laughs> that play out in Alaska. Um Women did play baseball uh, early in the late 19th century, but what happens is that, you know, uh, Victorian era values uh, certainly are imposed on, on women. They are seen as the, you know, the softer of the gender and uh, it was too dangerous to play baseball for women. And ultimately women were prohibited from playing the game uh, throughout the country. Uh, but women did play baseball uh, in Alaska. Uh, in fact, uh, they played against the men and some of the articles talk about how men created, the men's teams created a handicap in that they would bat with one hand tied around their their backs or and that they did run around the bases backwards, which I'm not really sure how that works. But, um, but I, I think the important thing is that, you know, women were very much a part of the game and um, like you were talking about with robards i the other you know aspect of the game was gambling which of course you know the innocence of baseball was hardly ever innocent um and women uh again with the era of prohibition and uh it's going to be the women who um are very much uh trying to uh impose those values on men uh even on the ball field so in the uh, with the Red Cross game, uh, you have no gambling signs uh, posted all over uh, the field. Again, uh, you see that kind of uh, dichotomy. But what was really cool about women, and also again, it it factors in uh, the environment of Alaska. Up in Nome, you had women playing indoors because, of course, when it got too cold outside, you couldn't play outside. So Alaskans figured out how to play inside. So before um, volleyball and before basketball really became the thing out in rural Alaska, indoor baseball was the thing. And that's going to be the uh, precursor to softball, which is always kind of cool, I think. For... Yeah, so I mean, one of the, the things that I find fascinating about that is just that that the game was being played by so many different people, at least early on before baseball kind of stamped, stamped it, <laughs> stamped it out and made it largely just men's only. Um, one of the interests I have is post in the post-war years, you mentioned kind of baseball coming back in different ways around the state. I'm um, in a name that often comes up in Anchorage. I've seen historians refer to him as Mr. Baseball is William Mulcahy. And if you're from Anchorage and you've seen a game in the Alaska Baseball League, you've been to Mulcahy Stadium. But what can you tell us about Mulcahy and how he was, why would people refer to him as Mr. Baseball? What was his role in 
bringing baseball back or keeping it alive in Anchorage? Well, he, he worked for the railroad and he, his wife uh, recalled that whenever he hired employees with the railroad, he'd always ask what position that they played. So he was, he was a lover of baseball. And uh, what Mulcahy does I, that I think is really important is that he, he starts some of the very first little leagues in, in Alaska. And, um, you know, baseball is a game for kids. And, and that's what I think is so uh, important is uh, he instilled the, the love of the game in Alaska youth and giving them the opportunity to play ball, build those, you know, ball fields. I, I live out in Eagle River and the Kinnick Little League is one of the very first little leagues. And in fact, those kids through the Legion were able to go compete at the national level. And believe it or not, it's gonna be kids from Eagle River, Alaska, who are going to represent the new state of Alaska on the national stage for the very first time. So uh, so I think what's what I think is important about Mokehi, especially as a mother of two kids who grew up playing baseball, is that you know he gave them the opportunity to, to play the game and to, to learn how to love it. One of my fond memories of the stadium named after him ties a little bit back to the previous topic we were just talking about, but the Colorado Silver Bullets um, women's touring team playing here for exhibitions in the 1990s um, and going and that being the largest crowd I've ever seen in the stadium. Like it was just shoulder to shoulder people in the bleachers in that ballpark. Um, But another exhibition that I was unaware of until I read your article um, in Imagining Alaska was this, um, Appearance at Mulcahy by Satchel Page um, in the 1960s. So lots of people recognize the name Satchel Page, um, Negro Leagues and, Amer- and uh, um, Major Leagues star. But what brought Satchel Page to Alaska? What was he doing here? Like, t- just tell us about that visit. So Satchel Page, as you mentioned, one of the greatest pitchers to ever play the game. He pitched in the Negro Leagues. And after Jackie Robinson breaks the color barrier and brings black ball players back to the game, Satchel Page is one of the oldest ball players he's you know, it to, uh, to pitch in the major leagues. And so by the time he comes to Alaska, he comes to Alaska in 1965. And again, baseball's the constant and we can look to history is you know what's happening around it 1965 is an extraordinary year in in this country um especially when it comes to race and i you know that's the other thing that i find so fascinating is that you know where the the rest of the country is is reeling from from racial strife anchorageites are welcoming satchel page and he is inundated um with at the you know as a celebrity and people just want to to get his autograph and to hear him talk and he did ended up he ended up pitching in a exhibition tournament uh against a, a team from uh uh elmendorf and he he pitched a few innings and uh and he had talked about um starting a team to compete with the gold panners up in Fairbanks. So the gold panners had just started and, and he wanted to, to start a team. The 1964, the uh, Alaska earthquake had occurred. And so his idea was to 
to start a team and call them the Alaska Earthquakers. And he talked a good talk about that. People were super excited. There were lots and lots of articles about it. Um, it never panned out. Um, he, but, uh, but it is really one of the most remarkable moments, I think, in, in Alaska sporting history. Again, like I said, with the, the 1915-1916 railroad team jerseys, that's another jersey I would love is the Alaska Earthquakers. Yeah, if anybody would ever like yeah. well, figure out they, what that looks like. So, yeah, so they had when the Alaska Baseball League starts in 65, you have the gold panners, um, and then you have uh, the pilots start down here in Anchorage uh, in honor of the great pilot Bob Reeve. And after that, you had um, teams like the Jolly Green Giants out in Palmer and the, my favorite, quite frankly, the, the North Pole Knicks. <laughs> they had their little uh, North Pole uh, green and red, and they were, that was, it's a, that's an awesome jersey I would like. Uh, and those teams eventually fold, and you have the, the Oilers down in Kenai, and then um, the Bucks. Uh, they were the Cook Inlet Bucks, and then later the, the uh, Anchorage Bucks. Uh, and then um, the uh, out in Palmer, the. Oh, the Miners. Oh, yeah, excuse me. Sorry, the, the, the miners out in, in Palmer, they start up. And then, of course, the most recent team, uh, the Chinooks out here in, in Tugiak Eagle River. Yeah, so I was just at a game recently with somebody who was new to Anchorage. Um, my family's tradition is to always go around Father's Day to the game. And there was somebody with us who said, like, what is this? Like, because she knew it wasn't minor league baseball, but she was kind of like, what's going on here? So um, what should listeners know? What is the Alaska Baseball League? I mean, you just listed off the teams and it has its roots going back to 1960 with the gold panners and then the late 60s with the addition of the, the Glacier Pilots and so on. But what exactly is this league that pops up every year for a couple of months in Alaska? Yeah, well, the, the, it started um, really as an opportunity for some of the best collegiate players to come up and, and play. And, uh, and really, that, that's what it is, is uh, these competitive of teams, they can come up and, and play ball. Um, we used to get, uh, well, actually, I mean, they still do. They still get some of the best players that will go on to play in the major league. Uh, some of them have played up here. Uh, and they include players like Galvin Davis, Bob Boone, uh, Randy Johnson pitched for the Pilots, um, and of course my favorite, uh, Dave Winfield. Uh, and the the guy to really start it all off uh, was Tom Seaver. Tom Seaver played on that first team, uh, and of course uh, Tom Seaver just passed away, but. Uh, Tom Seaver, when he won the Cy Young Award, he credited uh, his experience in Alaska in playing. And, you know, they talk about, you know, the, the Midnight Sun. I mean, Tom Seaver would have played in Fairbanks where they had the Midnight Sun game. And they really do play at midnight and it freaks them all out. <laughs> but, uh, uh, and, it, and even, um, you know, Dave Winfield, Dave Winfield came up as a pitcher. And it's going to be Red Boucher, who was the longtime coach for the 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 uh, the Panthers that recognized his his talent and uh, in, in hitting, which made him a, a ultimately a Hall of Famer center fielder for the New York Yankees. 
Uh, and of course, uh, Randy Johnson was just uh, um, um, entered into the Hall of Fame too. So, so three Hall of Famers played up here. Uh, so um, yeah, Alaska has seen some of the very best uh, play. Uh, uh, we've had, you know, just recently uh, we've had uh, players Paxton, James Paxton, who was pitching for the Mariners and the Yankees, he, he played. And quite frankly, my most interesting player, of course, is this fellow right here, Barry Bonds, who uh, this is his, uh, his rookie picture. And uh, of course, uh, your listeners can't, can't see this photo, but uh, his jersey is very, very teeny. <laughs> so, <laughs> so in many ways, that speaks volumes all in itself. But yeah, Mark McGuire played up here. Harold Reynolds played up here. Jason uh, Giambi, uh, Jacoby Ellsbury. I, one of the things that uh, people do is they host these kids uh, in the summertime. And in fact, they're always looking for player hosts. So if you guys want to bring in a kid to uh, you know, hang out at your house for a couple of weeks while he plays ball, uh, eat all your food, <laughs> but you never know. They might just end up in the World Series someday. Uh, so I it's a pretty, it's still a pretty exciting opportunity for these kids and it's a great opportunity for us here in Alaska. Yeah, it's interesting looking at both Bonds and McGuire's photo here on the screen, how much smaller they are than we're <laughs> yeah. later yeah. in their careers for lots of yeah. different reasons. That we probably yeah, don't that's a whole different <laughs> story. <laughs> So I've asked you pretty much everything I wanted to ask you about Anchorage baseball, but looking at this slideshow that you're, you're flicking through, I'll just ask you a question that I often ask guests, which is what else would you like to share with us? What, what else are we missing? Is there a story or something else about either Anchorage or Alaska baseball you'd want to pass on um, to people that are listening? It's just, you know, that's, I think the nice thing about Alaska baseball for us all to remember when we go out to our games is, you know, it is a game that was imported by, um, you know, newcomers to Alaska. In many ways, it was imposed on the, the people already here. Uh, but at the same time, uh, you know, Alaska Natives had their own version of Alaska baseball that was introduced to them by the Sami people as well as the Russians. And they were able to embrace the game and make it into something of their own cultural expression. And again, I, a game that brings people together. And it's still the same way. Alaska's unique environments or midnight suns or you know, even the, the, the game we play, you know, in the in in the snow and the ice. So whether it's at Ferrandi or uh, Eskimo Ball up north. Um, it's a game that we have made into our own, and it's still a game that brings people together. Uh, and I think that's really the important thing. And, and you know, it, it's a game that teaches us a lot of lessons. It teaches us a game about uh, winning and teaches us a game about losing. And it teaches us that there's always uh, a game the next day. And, and, and I think that's, that's the important thing. And as we Alaskans, you know, in the summertime, like to hike or go fish, sometimes baseball isn't always our number one activity. Uh, but 
you know, salmon and baseball actually have a lot in common. We both want to complete a, complete a cycle, get home safe and score. So, <laughs> so, uh, <laughs> so I am, um, but you know, it, again, it's, it's just as a historian and the mother of, of ball players, and actually even someone who got married on a baseball field. Um, I have to say that, you know, baseball is gonna, gonna be, it was, you know, it was here in our past, it's gonna be here tomorrow. And, and that, that makes me feel pretty good. I love that. I love that you got buried on a baseball field. I like the comparison to the salmon of completing a cycle and returning home to score. That's great. Um, I'm going to make the turn here to the final question that I ask our guests, which is, do you have a spiritual or mindfulness or self-care practice that you do that sustains you in your work? Um, well, you know, I, I think when you, like I said, I'm, I'm a mother, I, I work full time, I am constantly writing and working and, and you almost don't even have time to, 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 to think about yourself um, and, and not to, and self care for that matter. But, you know, that's, that's the thing. I mean, to this, this week I'm going to a baseball field and watching my sons play. And I think as uh, Walt Whitman said, you know, this is the, the church of baseball and uh, it is a, a glorious game. And, uh, and I'm just really lucky uh, that it's in my life. So, so I guess uh, play ball. <laughs> that's my, that's my ticket to, to, to sanity <laughs> and self-help. <laughs> well, that's one of mine as well. So I appreciate that. This has been wonderful. Thank you so much for taking time to, sit with us today and share your knowledge of Alaska baseball and hopefully listeners learn something new and learned a little more about their city and about their state um, through this. So thank you so much. Oh, well, thank you very much. And I, I really appreciate it. And thank you for your interest in, in this topic and, and history. Casey was baseball mad, had the fever and had it bad. Just to root for the hometown through every zoo, Katie Blue. On a Saturday, her young beau called to see if she'd like to go to see a show. But Miss Kate said, no, I'll tell you what you can do. Take me out to the ball game, take me out with the crowd. Buy me some peanuts and cracker jacks. I don't care if I never get back. Let me root, root, root for the home team. If they don't win, it's a shame. For it's one, two, three strikes. You're out at the old ball game. My thanks to Katie Ringsmith for joining me today and talking about Anchorage and Alaskan baseball. Be sure to check out the photos using the links in the show description. Thank you for listening, and we hope you join us for Season 2 of the Anchored City Podcast, coming this fall. The Anchored City Podcast is grateful for a grant from Resonate Global Mission that in part makes this podcast possible. We are also grateful for our partnership with Street Psalms. Check them out at streetpsalms.org. And we're grateful for you, our listeners. If you are grateful for what you are hearing, please rate, review, and subscribe to this podcast on iTunes and recommend us to your friends. 
Resources used to make this episode can be found in the show details. The Anchorage City Podcast is hosted by Joel Kickenfeld and is a production of the Anchorage Urban Training Collaborative. The mission of the collaborative is to train the head, heart, and hands of urban leaders to love their city and seek its peace. When we say peace, we mean the desire to see a world where all things are the way they are supposed to be for all people. Find us online at anchorageutc.org and on social media at Anchorage UTC. Our theme song is by Anchorage's own Monica Lettner.